Wow. Have you been with us the last couple of studies? Our study in 1 Corinthians 15 was a mountain peak for sure. Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. To catch up on studies that you've missed, you can always visit our app or you can go to ttb.org and you click on the orange listen button anytime and you can always download our new Bible companion for a great review of 1 Corinthians. So as we set out for our 1 Corinthians study in chapter 16, Greg and I have got a couple of letters that we want to share with you. And one of the things we just love to do is share letters from home. That is from our Canadian and American listeners. Uh, and, and I want to ask a question. Why do we love the letters so much? Cause they are just so encouraging and they, they, they mirror the heart that we have for the ministry yeah. and for God's word. I think that's the biggest yeah. thing. And I also think that the letters and the testimonies of God changing lives through the word is an encouragement to those who might be saying, well, do I really need to study the Bible all the time? And just to hear that, I, I think it's good for all of yeah, us. Yeah. It's so. like, do you need to breathe all the time? Exactly. Or eat, eat a meal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you got to do it all the time. So anyway, here's, this is from, uh, Pam and Jeff. I love Pam and Jeff because they're on the World Prayer Team. Yes. It says, my <laughs> husband and I are encouraged in our walk every time we tap into the World Prayer Team email. We, as in all believers in Christ, are all connected in him and his word, but your emails make it more personal every day. Whether our friends around the world are new believers or old, in trouble or in blessings, overcoming or hurting, this ability to pray for someone out there together is very real. With thousands of us praying and praising God for this one person in Burundi or Ireland or Montana, USA or Vietnam, etc., I enjoy thinking of how the power of the Holy Spirit rejoices as he moves in the lives of his children through this meaningful resource. Keep up the good work. Wow. And I love Pam and Jeff because they have the vision. That's what this is all about. Thank you for encouraging us because that's what we want it to be. Now, yeah. let's hear from Betty from Michigan. Every day that I study the Bible, I pray for more wisdom and understanding as I read it or listen to it. Hmm. I hunger for truth in this sad and wicked world, and the Bible, God's Word, gives me such peace of mind and soul. This is my second time going through the Bible with J. Vernon McGee, and as I listen to him and updates from Greg and Steve, there are such tears of joy to see God's working in our world today. Thank you for being used by God in this way. Man, wow. Be Betty, thanks for pointing yeah. that out. This is such a sad and wicked world, and there's Amen. a tendency for us to focus on the sad and wickedness of the world, especially yeah. if you happen to land on cable news for any length of time. Oh, yeah. You're just like, oh, man, this is this world is going to hell in a handbasket, yep. if I can say that. Yes. But God, and we have a God who is in control of all things. He's a sovereign God, and he's going to wrap this whole thing up and glorify himself in his perfect timing, and we can be along for the ride. Amen. All right. Do you want go. to read this letter from yeah. Joe? Yeah, Joe in Missouri. Up until 1996, I had never heard Dr. McGee or through the Bible. I was saved in 1973 by the grace of God and not long after that surrendered to the ministry just shortly before entering into the Air Force. After leaving the service 46 years ago, I married my wife. A few years after my marriage, I became disillusioned with the church through my own Christian immaturity and spent the next 17 years in the pig pen. That's a reference, as Dr. <laughs> McGee would call it. Yeah. Thankfully, a gracious and forgiving father took me back. I had found a new job working in the secular field that took me about an hour to drive to and one morning in 1996 on my way to work found through the Bible on the radio KSIV 91.5. That's bought radio in St. Louis, by the way. 
I've been with you since then, either on the radio or on the Internet, which I now use. I have had my struggles. If one allows it and doesn't keep his focus on God and his son Jesus, it isn't hard to fall and get discouraged. Right now, I am with you in Second Kings. Hilkiah has found God's word, and revival has entered Josiah, the king's heart. Isn't it amazing what God's word can do if our hearts are ready to receive? I pray I can keep focused on God, and revival stays within my heart. I pray for you all. And Greg, with that, why don't you pray for us now? Father, we thank you for the power of your word in our lives and the lives of so many around the world. We pray that you would continue to work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now here's Dr. McGee with our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 on Through the Bible. Now as we come to our last study, we'll take this entire chapter at one time. It's actually not a very long chapter. We spent three days in 1 Corinthians 15. It was all about the resurrection, and in particular, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there is a very definite, strange relationship between his birth and his death and his resurrection. If he's not who he said he was, then his death is meaningless as far as our salvation is concerned. And his resurrection, you can face it with Paul, if Christ be not raised from the dead. There is a relationship, you see, and it's a very important relationship. When anyone says today, well, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the virgin birth. I do not want to be ugly. I want to be just as nice and sweet and jolly as I can be. But my friend, if you deny the virgin birth, you're not a Christian. Now, somebody says, but you've already said here that the gospel concerns the death, burial, and resurrection. But my friend, who was it? that died? Who was it was buried? Who was it rose again? Now, I believe you can come to Christ and accept him as your Savior and not know anything about the virgin birth. But my friend, when you find out about it, you begin to come to know him. You're not going to deny the virgin birth. You can't, you see. You couldn't deny the virgin birth because you wouldn't really have a Savior. Now, as we come to this 16th chapter, what a letdown. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now, concerning the collection. That's the way Paul began. I did not begin this. He started it. Now, in this chapter, we have uh, patore. That is quite a collection of things. Not only the collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem, but Paul in this chapter will discuss many things. Not only concerning the collection, but opportunities in opposition, about watching and praying, about the conduct of the church, and then the acid test of doctrine, and then that which is ecclesiastical, the total church is in view here. Or, if you want it organized and divided, the first four verses concern the collection. Verses 5 through 9 is personal. And Paul here is gloriously unsettled. He's not quite sure just what he's going to do. And that's a great satisfaction to me because it's very difficult to tell about the future. These folk that tell me that are Christians, and especially in Christian service, they're going to tell me what they're going to do and where they'll be 
five years from today. I'm worried about them because I just never got it that way, and I'd hate to think they've got a private line into the Lord that I know nothing about. And then I read this about Paul not knowing, and it's a great comfort. And then I think along with Paul here, and I wonder if these people really know what they're going to do and where they're going to be five years from today. Paul did not know. Now we find that the last part of the chapter, verses 10 through 24, he deals with personalities. These are folk who walk down the streets of Corinth, one of the most corrupt cities, most sensual city, a city given over to immorality. The numerality was even old in Corinth, and they really knew more about it than this generation today knows. But here are folk who walked down the streets of Corinth, and they knew the Lord Jesus, and they lived for him. And they could keep themselves unspotted before the world. Now, let's get into the chapter, and I come back. I hope you've recovered from the shock of this first statement now concerning the collection. You would think that after Paul has discussed the resurrection, most glorious doctrine of the Christian faith, you'd think, now, Brother Paul, this is wonderful. Let's stay in the clouds. We're in the heavenless, Paul. And all of a sudden, Paul, well, he just pulls the plug out, as it were we find out that we've just gone down to the very bottom. He says, now concerning the collection. And there's some pious folk that would say, my, you ought not talk about the collection. These material things we ought not to talk about. And generally those people don't want you to talk about it because it's a little bit embarrassing for them. Now concerning the collection. That's what Paul says for the saints, and that's for the poor saints at Jerusalem, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Now, Paul's method was this. Now, there are people that ask about Christian giving, and I hope you have your Bible and are going to follow right now, and I want you to watch this very carefully because I'm not going to read it right. So you follow it in your Bible. On the Sabbath day, let every one of you give tithes and offerings so that there'll not be an offering when I come. Or we may have to have a special offering when I get there, probably a retiring offering. Now, somebody says, you sure didn't read it like it is. No, I surely didn't. But that's the way it's practiced today. Now, I want you to notice something. This is important, Christian friend. Upon the first day of the week. Now, if you're not going to meet on the first day of the week to worship God, then you want to come back on the first day to make your offering. That's part of worship. Because Paul says here, upon the first day of the week, not on the Sabbath day, this is for the church. It's the first day of the week when the church comes together to remember the Lord Jesus in his death and resurrection. He came back on the first day. Now, he says, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. Nothing about tithes and offerings. 
but you to lay by as God has prospered you. Now, how has God prospered you? And Paul says, I want you to do this, that there be no gatherings when I come. I do not want my meetings with you spoiled by high-pressure methods of taking up an offering. Paul says, I don't want that. I won't have that. And that's the way today that special meetings are generally carried on, especially evangelistic meetings. I've had to give as much attention to the offering in the past as I've had to do with trying to deal with the new converts. It seems that so much attention is given. Now, Paul just puts it down as it should be done, and it's almost contrary to the way that we do it today. Now, let me say this to you. As God has prospered him, I had an officer in a church in Texas, a man of means. He owned several Coca-Cola plants, and he had the local one in the town where I was. And he owned a ranch, and he and I used to go out to that ranch and hunt and fish. And he always would say to me, Preacher, why don't you preach on tithing? Well, I said, why should I preach on tithing? He says, because it's the Bible way of giving. I said, well, it was the Old Testament way. But I said, under grace, I don't really think it's that way. He said, how do you think it ought to be? I said, God has prospered it. Now, this was during the Depression. I said to him, I said, now, for some strange reasons, Coca-Colas are selling. You're doing well. But I said, I can mention several members of our church that couldn't give a tithe right now. It's the time of the Depression. Now, some of you people will remember the Depression, or if you're as old as I am. It was a very serious time, and it was a difficult time. And I said, they couldn't give. And I said, I don't think God's asked them to give a tithe. He says, you mean God hasn't asked them to give a tithe? No, I said, as God hath prospered him. That's the way he's to give. And I said, look, I said, you know that these people can't give a tenth. And God's not asking to give a tithe. And I said, there's some people, though, that are doing well. And you know, they're to give as they've been prospered. And they're not to stop with a tenth. They probably ought to give a half. Did you know that that man never did ask me to preach on tithing again? Because he was tithing. But the interesting thing was, he should have been given more. God had prospered him. God hadn't prospered some other people. And he was wanting me to, you know, to just go after those folk. Well, I wasn't about to do it since it's not scriptural at all. As God has prospered him, and by the way, or you giving as God has prospered you. Quite interesting. Paul says here in verse 3, And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. And Paul says, I want you to pick out a committee to take it to Jerusalem with me. And it's well for one man not to be responsible for the offering. Not in Christian work. I think one of the most dangerous things today is to turn the offering over to a single individual and let one man handle it. Somebody says, well, don't you think he might be honest? Well, I think the problem is he might not be. That's the problem. If he's honest, there'd be no problem. 
But that's the best way to handle it, and it's a very fine way. And you notice Paul's using business-like methods here. Now he calls their giving liberality. And he called the collection logios, that's to collect. And now he calls their bounty here, our liberality, he calls it karitz. That's the word for grace. And in Romans fifteen twenty six, it's called a contribution. In 2 Corinthians 9, 5, it's called a eulogia. That means a blessing. And in 2 Corinthians 9, 12, it's called a liturgia. And that's a ministration. And in Acts 24, 17, it's called an elimusenai. And that means alms. All of this has to do with you giving to the Lord. And you could use any one of these. Now, the interesting thing is, the word bounty here or liberality or grace. And it should be grace giving today. How has God blessed you? Could your giving today be considered liberality? And I believe that today, when God has prospered a man, that he should not give just a tenth. I don't mean to put him under law. But if you're to use the Old Testament standard, which was not just one-tenth, if you go back and look at it in my book on Leviticus, I deal with this, there obviously was three-tenths that was given, about 30%. Now, if God required that, and of course government came in for part of that, they were the theocracy, so that what we have here is something tremendous. Now, this is important, and I've spent a little time with it. Now, notice what he says. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide ye and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. I love that. Brother Paul, where are you going? I'm going whithersoever. I don't know. Don't know where I'm going. You mean to tell me you're the great apostle of the Gentiles, and the Lord didn't give you a blueprint or a road map telling you everywhere you're to go? No, he says he didn't. He just leads me along. My, what a glorious thing this is that he has here. We have here the wonderful thing of gloriously unsettled. Now, will you notice, verse 7, For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. Brother Paul, where are you going? Well, I don't know. Now, my plans call for me to go over to Corinth. I'm coming over to see you, Corinthians. That's my plan. But it'll be only if the Lord permits it. Somebody says, shouldn't we have plans? Oh, by all means. Certainly we should make our plans. But the interesting thing is, always make them amenable to the will of God. Be willing to change them. Be willing to shuffle things around. Because Paul went out. He was very elastic as he moved out on these missionary journeys. We have seen before how the Lord just practically detoured him on the second missionary journey. He was going down into Asia, and the Spirit of God sent him over to Europe. He didn't know he was going to Europe. He didn't have any visas for Europe at all. He wouldn't have been able to get in there today, but in that day, he didn't need a visa. Now he says, I'll tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. He says, that's my present plans, and the reason is this. For a great door and effectual is open unto me, 
and their many adversaries. This is the wonderful verse that we put with the one in Revelation to the church in Philadelphia. The Lord Jesus said, I've set before you an open door. And radio, that's our ministry today. He set before us an open door. And we have found that a great door and effectual is opened unto us. But this other's true. There are many adversaries. There are many of them. A lot of enemies today to any man that'll stand for the Word of God. May I say to you, they'll try to crucify you. I know that from experience. That's been my experience. May I say to you that they tried to do that to Paul. They've tried to do it to any man that has preached the Word of God. There's a great door, though, and the Lord won't let anybody shut it. Thank God for that. And Paul is there, as it were, gloriously happy, rejoicing in the will of God. And if the Lord wants him to go to Corinth, he'll go. And verse 10, now we come to personalities. I'll just touch these names as we go through. He says, now if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. Now, why would they despise him? Well, Paul told him, you remember, let no one despise your youth. And he tells the church there in Corinth, he's a young man, but he's a preacher of the Word of God. Now, verse 12 is touching our brother Apollos. And I told you Paul loved Apollos. Now, the church had him in opposition. But they were serving the Lord together. Paul says, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren. Paul says, I wanted him to go over to Corinth, but his will was not at all to come at this time. But he will come when he shall have convenient time. He's coming over to see you too. Now he says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Oh, what a word for this day. Watch, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with love. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaean, that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And when I read that word addicted, I was afraid that they'd gone on drugs. But they were addicted to the ministry to the saints. And that was a great ministry. And then he says that ye submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with you and laboreth. You submit yourself even to those that want to serve you. Verse 17, he says, I'm glad of the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part they've supplied. They apparently brought the letter from the Corinthian church over to Paul, and Paul is telling them, in Corinth, that they've just made up for the whole church. They've been such wonderful fellows. He's a Christian. Verse 18, For they've refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. Give them a vote of thanks when they get back. Now the churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that's in the house. That's where they came to know Christ. All the brethren greet you. And greet ye one another with a holy kiss. Now, somebody says that permits kissing. Well, it does if it's a holy kiss. Most of them are not. Now, verse 21, the salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand. He dictated this epistle in sign. 
Listen to him now. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. The Lord Jesus said to Simon Peter, do you love me? Didn't even ask him, would you not deny me anymore? He said, do you love me? And my friend, that's the acid test today. I close on that note. Do you love him? And Paul says the last thing, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And if you love the Lord Jesus, you'll love the saints. Wonderful epistle, is it not? Closes on the high note of love. We go to Ezra next time. May God richly bless you, my beloved. You know, Dr. McGee is right. That's the perfect way to end our study of 1 Corinthians, on the high note of love. To take some more time in 1 Corinthians yourself, these studies are available anytime at ttb.org. Or if you've got some questions about this fruitful ministry called Through the Bible, you can always call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Next time, we'll begin in Ezra, one of Dr. McGee's favorite books. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you here next time. Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?